Value Finance, the podcast that helps you understand the transformative developments taking place in the world today. Welcome uh, to the first of our COVID series podcast uh, by the Asian Banker. Uh, on a platform we now call Radio Finance. And uh, for all of us around the world who are joining in this session, I'm here in Singapore. Uh, I'm working from home. But um, everywhere else in the world, in the offices that the Asian banker, the places where Asian banker has an office, in Kuala Lumpur, there's a full lockdown. All our staff are working from home. In Manila, there's a full lockdown. All our staff are working from home. In Beijing, uh, was a lockdown until recently, and our staff have now gone back to working in, from the office. And then in Dubai, our staff are also still working from the office, but there are a lot of restrictions in terms of uh, what we can do. So for all the rest of you, I know that many of you in many of the large corporations around the world are getting used to this idea of working from home. So I took the liberty of organizing this first radio finance session from my home, where I get to have a view of Singapore post-container shipyard movement. And I, I must say, there's been a lot of movement in terms of regional ship movements lately, which gives me the idea that trade is not necessarily going through a bad phase, except that it's probably redirected and, and so on. And so there's lots of anecdotal information, insights that we can get from uh, all of the different phases that uh, many of us uh, live in. The question that we want to have answered in this first session is really um, how is China going to work its way uh, over uh, the, uh, the, the impact of uh, the coronavirus. And many of us have seen uh, that uh, bell curves, uh, the bell curve um, the, the chart where China is uh, perhaps uh, on the other side of the bell curve uh, where uh, the rate of uh, transmission has started to decrease uh, dramatically, while the U.S. and um, several European countries are now on the rise. Uh, and of course, there are large countries that we need to worry about, um, India, Africa, uh, and the Southern Hemisphere, uh, where we do not yet know what the impact of the crisis is going to be like uh, in the next six months or so. Uh, but for this particular session, let's focus on China. And we have an incredible panel, uh, or an incredible guest, uh, I would say, because you're now guest in my house. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, so I shall call you guest rather than panel. And in fact, the whole language by which uh, we organize meetings uh, have to start changing. Um, I'm very happy to have uh, Professor Zhang Jun, uh, the professor... Uh, responsible for the economics uh, school of economics in uh, Fudan University in Shanghai, uh, Lu Ting, uh, who's a China chief economist uh, at Nomura, who is also based in Shanghai, uh, Tang Ning, a very good friend of mine and uh, the founder of Credit Ease, um, who through this um, what we call now uh, Credit Tech, which is using technology to deploy credit to the economy, um, uh, has a very strong front view of uh, how credit is being deployed uh, in China, but he also runs a wealth management business, so that's also an interesting uh, dimension to look at. And Shen uh, Jiangguan, the chief economist of JD, uh, the organization that is really at the frontier of um, the consumer economy, the consumption economy in China, um, and uh, the platforms by which uh, people spend and, uh, um, and get their everyday needs uh, met. Um, in China today. Now, let me just start by sharing with you uh, some charts uh, that uh, will help to guide uh, our, our uh, conversation today. The big uh, challenge in uh, the bell curve is that is to keep the peak as low as possible so that as many countries as possible uh, will not be affected by, or rather will not have their emergency and uh, medical facilities overwhelmed by uh, the, the pandemic. Now, for the purposes of our discussion, the first thing i like to remind all of us is that 2020 uh, is different from 2003. In 2003, China made up less, uh, about 10% of the global economy, about 5% uh, of imports and 5% of uh, exports. Uh, today, China exceeds 20%, about 25% of the global economy. And uh, both on the import and export side, very uh, considerable bellwether, as it were, both demand and supply 
uh, on the global economy. And uh, something to be uh, taken note of is the fact that global, the growth in global trade has been leveling off in the last few years. And that's why we see, for example, uh, a great deal more protectionist measures in several economies and technology itself making it possible for a lot of production to take place closer to consumption. And um, a lot of activity was already taking place uh, in that dimension as the con, uh, COVID-19 virus started to take hold. The, needless to say, manufacturing and business activities in China had fallen off the cliff in February because of shutdowns. What is interesting is that consumption of coal has started to come back on again, and it's almost at 2019 levels, which means it's actually a proxy for production, for the use of energy uh, in manufacturing, especially in the northern part of China. So this chart is uh, quite encouraging in that coal consumption is an indication of production. Of all of the countries around the world, Australia seems to be the most affected by China because a lot of its export, it's the country whose export perhaps more dependent on China than most of other countries. And then comes Korea, New Zealand, and so on. From a global perspective, it's the small countries like Mongolia and Angola, which have a greater percentage of dependence on, on China than the large countries. And that will put in perspective the fact that larger countries will be able to absorb the dependence on China a lot more than the smaller countries. The People's Bank of China has been lowering financing costs by through a lot of different measures, reduction in interest rates, deferment of taxation, personal and corporate tax, as well as incentives for a number of um, social and infrastructure activities in the economy. And um, as we follow uh, all of these developments on the market front, it's quite interesting to see that China's stocks continue to sort of outperform. I mean, they all you know, under the weather as it were, but I think that because 70% of corporate ownership in China is actually state-owned, so that is able to give a lot of anchor to the capital markets going under much more as much as uh, the rest of the world has seen. But at the same time, the promise of policy stimulus and they start with a lower valuation anyway. So the downside of the Chinese capital market has not been as adverse uh, as, as that of uh, other economies. Those um, preliminary points, let's get right into the conversation. The first person I, I would like to uh, ask for comments uh, is uh, Professor Chan. Uh, and the, the, the top of mind uh, uh, question in, in, in everybody's mind is uh, really, do you think uh, we are going to see a V-shaped recovery or a U-shaped recovery? Or are we expecting a, a double you know, a, a, a double hill type of recovery, which is a W recovery, if you, if you will? Um, well, what would your what would your thoughts be on on this? Um, and uh, what are the data that you are looking at in order to construct your own idea of how China will evolve? Well, I, I think it's most likely that you share you know in terms of recovery of Chinese economy after the you know the COVID nineteen attack. I you know I I almost everybody you know check the data and also you know. I walk around in my, you know, community, you know, actually there's a shopping mall, you know, behind me, you know, I, for almost every day, you know, I, I came down there and see, you know, how the normal business has been uh, going on every day. You know, if you look at, if you look at the shoppers, if you look at, the, you know, all the shops, you know, probably around 70 to 70, you know, 70 to 80% of all the shops are open. Uh, but, but I think, so that, you know, the retail business is still, uh, you know, for less than half, you know, it's been uh, back to the normal. And another way looking at the recovery of the economy is perhaps is to look at the traffic, especially in the weekdays, you know, and I think it's on the street and you could see, you know, the traffic is almost been, uh, you know, as normal as usual, uh, which I think the reminder of this, the, uh, the very quick, you know, recovery of the uh, normal lives. Uh, but still, there is a, a pending issues, you know, especially, uh, you know, people still uh, believe that the, the virus is still there. You know, we, we have to be more cautious about, you know, everything. And the schools are still closed down today, you know, not being open, you know, to the normal uh, times, you know. So, so it still takes time, you know, for the economy to be fully recovered. 
I and I, and I think that right now the, the very big concern of the everybody is is the uh, you know is the virus coming back through the uh, you know the people are you know cross the border uh, you know every day especially in the big city like Beijing Shanghai you know you know the airport has been uh, very uh, concerned about you know the coming back of the Chinese, overseas Chinese. You know, and that 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 would take a lot of time, I think, from the government. Uh, you know, uh, in order to keep everything, you know, uh, it's okay, especially after, you know, the virus be controlled, uh, you know, on a national level. So, uh, so, you know, for the recovery of the economy, I think it's maybe a little more slower, uh, you know, than we expected. Okay, so Professor Chung, you are reflecting the feel of the ground. Uh, there is still cautiousness, uh, even for ordinary people, uh, yeah. and schools are still closed. And uh, um, even in terms of everyday life, uh, we are looking at um, we are looking at uh, the post, uh, at, at a, a kind of a, a, a lack of optimism, uh, but cautious uh, hope. But uh, but uh, everyday life hasn't quite come back, uh, uh, you know, in 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 full force yet. So. Uh, yeah. You know, that, so that's that's what you're reflecting at the moment, right? Now, yes. what about yes. uh, let's let's ask uh, uh, Tang Ning. As I said uh, at the introduction of this session, uh, Tang Ning, you have a good feel of the demand for credit by small businesses. So, what do you see happening on that front, um, and um, and and how's that different today? Uh, what has to come back? Um, you know, uh, where's the desperation? Where are the desperation points, and so on in China right now? Yeah, uh, thank you, Emmanuel. Uh, uh, I have a very unique uh, uh, view because uh, uh, Credit East uh, is uh, vice uh, chairman of uh, 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 China's uh, Small Business Association. And uh, uh, we uh, uh, worked uh, very closely with uh, yeah, uh, the association uh, on conducting surveys yeah, uh, targeting uh, medium-sized uh, and small uh, businesses. And uh, uh, actually what we see is that, uh, you know, uh, one, uh, small businesses uh, uh, are hit uh, uh, hard, but at the same time, uh, they are very uh, resilient. Uh, they are learning to become more digital. Yeah, I think uh, uh, you start to see uh, digitization is uh, becoming really, really huge uh, in uh, China. Uh, before the uh, crisis, you know, people talked about uh, going digital, but uh, a much, uh, uh, you know, trial and error, uh, so on, uh, not absolutely necessary, uh, so on. But after the crisis, uh, really going digital is on uh, top of uh, everybody's agenda. Yeah, that's uh, uh, one key thing. Yeah, we mm -hmm. see that uh, uh, small businesses, uh, mid-sized businesses, uh, being able to uh, utilize technology to do uh, yeah, new business models. Uh, for example, uh, we are doing video, right? Uh, you, you know that uh, many uh, Chinese uh, companies, uh, businesses, uh, like uh, 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 have become uh, stars. Yeah, uh, uh, online stars, right? They call it, uh, like a multi-channel network, you know, I've become a star actually, yeah, doing yeah. this, uh, yeah, uh, video real-time uh, show, you know, it's right. very effective because like I uh, give you one data point, right, like uh, our uh, February and uh, uh, March, yeah, our productivity uh, 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 has been like 400% uh, uh, compare with uh, like a previous uh, year, you know, so it's huge like uh, productivity uh, uh, enhancement uh, because uh, we serve small businesses uh, uh, from credit and also equity investment uh, yeah, side, you know, our fund of funds invest in leading funds, which in turn invest in uh, yeah, our small businesses uh, doing cutting edge technology, you know, they so, do so very creative businesses through digital okay. ways. I mean, you're a you're an amazing salesman because uh, you're still selling your funds. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a difficult period uh, in in uh, economy. But um, what are you telling your customers now? Uh, the ones who buy your funds, are you telling them that 
uh, now is the time to buy because uh, the market has tanked out, uh, or now is the time to buy because there's value in terms of the um, uh, assets that you're investing in. Uh, what is the message that you're giving your customers right now? Well, you see, uh, uh, first of all, China is really relative value these days, right? Like uh, China is uh, recovering from uh, the virus situation, doing a, a better job than other parts of the world. Uh, secondly, uh, technology innovation is really the future of uh, China. It's where uh, future value will come from. So investing in technology innovation is the key thing. And uh, those technology innovation companies uh, are less uh, hit yeah, in the uh, crisis because they are more digital, uh, uh, less relying on, you know, on the ground, uh, uh, yeah, so facilities, uh, 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 so on. And also people need to learn to be long-term. All the short-term speculation activities, uh, yeah, don't uh, create much uh, real value, right? So uh, people are becoming more long-term. China's capital markets are getting better and better. You know that uh, they recently pushed through some uh, uh, new policy encouraging venture capital, right? Because they provide the new rules, provide a window of opportunity for venture capital to exit uh, early. In the past, uh, they were not allowed VCs to exit uh, early. Now, if you are part of the company for five years, you can just uh, exit uh, entirely your position. That's very encouraging for Chinese uh, VCs. So I think after the crisis, uh, really uh, technology innovation will have a great window of opportunity, like actually, doing remote, yeah. Actually, Tang, Tang Ning, um, you know, you are so involved in many facets of the business that of the industry and of the economy that uh, you've actually raised a number of points that, uh, you know, that, that we, we, we need to build into the conversation. Um, the, maybe let's just um, get um, the next person online, uh, Lu Ting from Nomura. Um, when you see uh, some of the incentives that the government is putting in place in China, um, you know, uh, holding back on collecting taxes, uh, incentives for small businesses, and even the incentives for the markets. Um, Tanding has pointed out that uh, the markets have sort of held out, and, and it makes me think that that, that that situation is unique to China because, um, you know, the state um, uh, sort of uh, is able to put a stopgap uh, in terms of the market's free fall in, in that way. Um, what do you see on all, on all of these points, uh, Lu Ting? Uh, now, first of all, yes, I think the Chinese markets, especially stock markets, have been doing relatively well compared with markets in Europe and uh, in the U.S. In Europe, uh, at the moment, it's down more than 40%. In the U.S., down more than 30%. In China, right. uh, the worst is down around 10%. Actually, on the first day of the Chinese New Year holiday. Uh, well, it's, then it's up, it's, it's down again. Uh, well, I think there are two reasons behind uh, small volatility. And the first reason is the Chinese, I think China is just lucky uh, because the worst of China's coronavirus was uh, in the last week of January and the first week of February uh, when China was in Chinese New Year holiday <clears throat> and the market was closed. So um, China successfully uh, avoided the worst moment uh, for its stock markets. Uh, I have to say that if the stock markets were open in the end of June or in the beginning of February, that must be quite ugly. Uh, the second reason <laughs> for is the Chinese government's success, the relative success in containing uh, the virus. Um, uh, and, uh, well, of course, I think they, they have greatly uh, flattened the curve. Uh, as you can see, at least, I think, based on the official statistics, uh, the new cases uh, in China in the past uh, two weeks has been somewhere between 30 to 80, and most of these new cases are imported infections. Uh, so I think the market has built some uh, confidence in the Chinese government's strategy in containing uh, the virus. Uh, but we will have to be uh, cautious uh, for the next few months, I think for two reasons. Uh, and uh, most likely, I think the markets will be uh, volatile, uh, perhaps maybe more volatile uh, than the previous um, two months. Uh, the first reason, again, the one reason is, um, well, there may be a risk of second wave, um, both because of those imported infections as a result of the global spread of the coronavirus, and also because China's domestic 
uh, transmission of the virus because anyway, I think uh, the percentage of those um, people test positive but without any symptoms are quite high. So there might be a risk for transmission in China. Uh, even now the new cases are relatively uh, low. The second reason, of course, is uh, China's slumping exports. Uh, we expect China's export growth will be uh, a minus uh, 30% for the next one or two quarters because of uh, the global um, pandemic. Uh, so that's why I think economic fundamentals would be uh, relatively bad, uh, both for the first quarter and the second quarter. Uh, in this regard, I do agree with Professor Zhang that it's not a V-shape, it's more like a U-shape uh, recovery. Can I ask, um, Professor Chang, um, you know, from, from the kind of incentives that governments have been, uh, you know, throwing at, uh, at economic problems up to now, uh, a lot of that has been uh, directed at demand-side econo economics. Um, do you think that there, was, there were things that should have been done on the supply side uh, to at least keep China going, uh, you know, and keep the supply chains uh, going, uh, uh, or is there going to be, are there going to be issues uh, on the supply side, uh, you know, in the foreseeable future? Well, I definitely, I, you know, I think so what this Chinese government is doing uh, is simply, you know, to help the supply side to recover as soon as possible, uh, because, you know, as many, uh, you know, point out to the, you know, the, the biggest suffering, you know, of the uh, virus, uh, you know, on, on the economy is actually the small businesses. So I think the the policy uh, focus uh, must be placed on the you know the recovery of the small business. So for so fiscal policies as well as the monetary policy as, at this moment can be in the modest way, you know, in order to you know keep the small business uh, going and prevent them from you know from, from being uh, closing down or bankrupt. So that could you know making the uh, you know, uh, stunning growth of employment in China. I think the government has recognized, you know, the importance or, you know, the, the, the issue of the employment uh, as, a, as a result of this, you know, for the uh, epidemic. So, um, so for not simply a focus on the growth target, you know, because it keeps the growing of employment and that could make the, everything in order. Uh, and, and once China could, you know, uh, be recovered from the, uh, you know, academic, I think that could have created the demand, you know, for the rest of the world. So, uh, so you know, it, it looks like everybody is hit uh, by the virus. So it is, you know, simply an issue of of a supply side. But but it, you know, as you mentioned, it could turn it into the you know, demand side when everybody suffering in a, you know, in the supply side. So uh, so you must have somebody. Uh, you know, most likely China to move first. You know, when Chinese economy going to recover first, uh, you know, for, I think then it created a demand for the rest of the economy, you know, to recover. Right. So, would you have a perspective on that? Um, you know, that China's uh, own domestic spending uh, can sort of kick off uh, a U-shaped recovery uh, globally? Well, uh, it's, uh, it's a tough question. Um, so as both of you have mentioned before, I think this is both a supply shock and also a demand shock. Uh, at this moment, I believe that, um, well, um, well, perhaps maybe the supply shock is still um, a major shock for China. It's regarding its impact on the Chinese economy, I believe that for the next few months, uh, supply shock is still something um, of a big concern. The reason for this is that, um, as we, uh, some of you mentioned before, uh, that uh, even the Chinese government just really want to push for resumption of business, uh, but they still need to be very cautious because they are also worried about the second wave. I heard that some of those movie theaters, for example, restaurants, they were asked to open a week ago, but maybe in the past few days, uh, they were asked to uh, be closed again. Uh, so in this regard, uh, at least at this moment, and maybe for the next one or two months, uh, I think, well, on the supply side perspective, we are not back to uh, the normal uh, situation yet. And uh, 
just because of this, financial reliefs are still very important for, uh, in China. It's unlikely for China just to use demand stimulus um, just to reach um, a decent growth in the next few months, both to boost the Chinese economy and also to boost the global economy. In this regard, I think we can compare China now and uh, China in the beginning of 2009. At that time, there was no virus, but there was a global financial crisis. But China launched massive four trillion uh, stimulus. Of course, it's actually some bigger than four trillion. So in 2009, to some extent, China's big demand stimulus helped to stabilize uh, the global growth. Otherwise, global growth will be much worse. But this time around, I think the Chinese government's capacity to use such a big stimulus to stimulate demand, um, well, at least I, I would say it's on a much smaller scale, but just because the virus itself still uh, actually have a big impact on the Chinese economy. Right. I understand that uh, Shen Xiangwang is already online. Um, if uh, we can get you online. I just wanted to ask you, Shen, from the, the perspective of a chief economist of JD, which uh, is really the, at the frontier of the digital economy on the consumption side in China, um, what do you see taking place? We've, we've just, if you weren't uh, in the call earlier, we already asked uh, Tang Ning, for example, uh, on uh, his perspective in terms of uh, credit creation for small businesses and so on. But uh, the question that I'd like to ask you is that, um, as the chief economist of JD, um, what do you see in terms of consumption uh, and uh, the confidence in consumption that drives your business? Yeah, actually, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, for JD, you know, so I, I think one thing interesting is uh, uh, through the development in the last decade of e-commerce and as well as the uh, the logistic system, delivery system, uh, I think China at this time actually coped with this uh, pandemic, uh, I think, uh, I think much better than uh, most other countries due to this uh, uh, capability uh, to utilizing you know e-commerce capability as well as the digital uh, technology for example uh, even during the worst uh, period uh, during the pandemic even in hubei province uh, there's over a thousand delivery men uh, from jd the jd workers are still working uh, can deliver all the uh, medical suppliers to the hospitals and to deliver goods to all the households in Wuhan. So, so this is uh, quite uh, exceptional. Just uh, uh, think nowadays, I heard, I, I just read news, uh, news that uh, now in Europe, uh, in America, right, like Amazon, you know, uh, uh, the orders will be delayed for uh, about a week, right? So, so mm -hmm. I think this is last decade, you know, through this development of the logistics system, e-commerce system, China actually can actually still deliver goods, or like even JD, our company, uh, within one day, you know, for to, to all the households that need it, need, need the suppliers. Shen, so, Shen, you must, Shen, you must tell us what is it about China that when it comes to execution, even in distressed times like these, mm -hmm. uh, is able to... Um, you know, execute flawlessly. I mean, this is mm -hmm. something which, uh, um, you know, the rest of the world uh, really needs to study a lot more uh, deeper. Now, from, and you are in a pers uh, perspective to give us uh, uh, an idea of, you know, why does a JD not have logistics issues and why does an Amazon have uh, logistics issues? Um, <laughs> uh, is it yeah. the size of the economy? Is it the, the last mile, the delivery? Is it the payment system? Um, give us a sense. Yeah, I think the first thing is about, uh, you know, the, the investment in the, the digital technology, in delivery system, right? You know, JD has been investing in this uh, transportation system, logistics uh, system for the last decade. It's uh, spent a huge amount of investment, right? So, so I think that's very important. Also, the government uh, spending a lot of money on, on uh, infrastructure in telecommunications, Right. So, so you can see in many countries, there's news is that, uh, you know, the network, there are so many people now working online, but the, the, the infrastructure cannot support this surge in the usage of this uh, internet, like a video uh, conference, for example, right? So at the yeah. same, you know, JD has developed so many warehouses around China. This is also very, very important 
So we have all the warehouses owned by JD and all the delivery workers actually is all belong to JD. It's uh, how much of that is technology and how much of that is uh, human resources? Uh, would the argument that is in China, uh, you know, mm -hmm. um, labor is a lot cheaper than the West, uh, would that be an argument? Yeah, I think, you know, I think the both. Why I say both, you know, for example, you know, even the, regarding the technology side, JD has invested in, in building many warehouses across China. So some warehouses, you know, there is no single workers inside huge warehouses. It's everything automated, right? So this increased efficiency grossly. You know, it's, uh, th this is uh, the basis. But then it's enable our company, JD, to deliver actually to 95% of Chinese villages uh, within 24 hours. So even before the, 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 the pandemic, this had been achieved. We can deliver uh, to 95% of Chinese counties within 24 hours after they make orders. So and this that's just JD, right? Because you also have uh, Tencent, you've, you've got uh, Alibaba, and you've got all of the others as well. No, no, it's very different. We are the very unique model. So uh, Alibaba is a platform model, right? Mostly, they don't have their own warehouses. They have uh, the, the alliance with uh, uh, forwarding companies. Uh, but we, as it's integrated, I, this is shows the advantage of this kind of model. So, you know, even before, Amazon don't have this model. They also use UPS to do the final delivery. Right. But in JD, we have uh, the only company, I think this unique model that we from, from, we buy the goods by ourselves to put in our warehouses and deliver to the households, to the to companies using our own workers. So, oh, so the economic a, model is different because JD sees itself different. as a federation uh, of different suppliers with, to, with whom it does not have uh, control or ownership, whereas JD actually purchases a good and then, uh, and then sells it off to uh, the, the final buyer. Uh, and, also That's you, right. and, and also you own your distribution. So you own your That's trucks, right. you own your logistics, you own your warehouses and so on. That's right. That's very unique model. And uh, you, it used to be, you know, called a too heavy model. Yeah, too heavy. It's a, the capital heavy, right? So you have to invest all these warehouses. It's very capital intensive. And also it's very labor intensive. So you have, so all these workers, our official JD workers, we, we pay all the social benefits. You know, so a lot of... Were you profitable before the crisis? And are you... Are you yes, able we are to profitable. be above last cost? Year, last year, we are the, the, it's a hugely profitable. It's uh, our total profits is over 10 billion RMB already. So, but that's actually as after many years of losses. You know, the, this is uh, our, our CEO, uh, Mr. Richard Liu said, it's actually we invest first. So we build all the infrastructure, then we are now uh, gaining all the benefits of doing this. Because Capital market used to question this model, saying you, you invest too much, right? You have too many workers. But now, actually, this model starts to bear fruits. Is now, not only we, before the pandemic, we've already been profitable, but also during the pandemic, it's a huge, huge advantage of this model that we can deliver uh, to, uh, even without even any interruption. Now, what new things are the, is the pandemic teaching you at the moment uh, oh. in terms of the demand of customers? Uh, is it more towards consumables? Um, is it more towards food? Uh, is it more towards, um, you know, away from, um, you know, discretionary spending? What, what is it yeah, teaching yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Well, this, this is actually being an uh, advantage of being a chief economist in uh, like coming like JD, you I see the actual only, spend, yeah. Yes. I also all the data, right? The big data. <laughs> In addition to all the you know micro data, I also have the micro data, but I also have the big data. What yeah. I can see is very clearly the discretion or like uh, uh, jewelry's you know consumption has been declining, right? So mm -hmm. the the expensive goods, the luxury goods, people are spending uh, money at home. For example, the the kitchenware, uh, kitchen goods, and that many people are buying kitchen goods that they are cooking by themselves. That's why, you know, you know, like uh, foods, you know, fruits, this kind of uh, purchase has been surged, has been surging rapidly. So it's looked like, uh, you know, like uh, exercises at home, this kind of goods, like uh, sportwear has been 
doing very well. And I think what's a lesson is after this, I believe this digitalization of the whole economy will, will speed up. You know, I think very clearly the, the internet, uh, for example, this is the fintech industry, right? So, so there is no interruption for inter, uh, the online banking business, right? right. There's uh, no interruption on this online insurance or online okay. uh, wealth management business. Right. They can do much better than the offshore. Uh, now, uh, both uh, for uh, yourself okay. and Professor Chang, I want to ask this question. What do you foresee in terms of unemployment in China? Um, mm -hmm. Do you see that, um, uh, you know, that, that there will be an attrition at certain levels? Uh, of course, China is about 70% state-owned economy and then 30% private enterprise. And a lot of that is in the south of China. But um, uh, and the private enterprise already faces a lot of attrition with, on the export side of the economy. But um, how do you think overall uh, the sense of uh, job security will evolve? Uh, I think that... The, 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 uh, I Let, think let's, that get, let's get Shen yeah. first and then Professor okay. Chang. Yeah. Uh, I think the first thing is, uh, you know, it's it's a globalization. I think that now many, I what I learned is a Chinese exporting company, they are facing this cancellation, of, uh, cancellation of orders because you know what you see the situation in Europe and America, right? So so the, the demand, global demand, has been declining for sure. So that's why you know exporting companies are facing you know difficulties. I think that's uh, so far we we see cancellation, but the, if this, this is a prolonged. Uh, issue, then it will result into these uh, job problems. Then a so domestic what, what, service company. What do you worry about being JD, being a, a platform or a um, you know consum consumer oriented uh, uh, organization or a platform? So definitely the income is very important, right? People have income and they consume. If they, their income uh, declines, of course, the, the purchase will decline, even though we are doing much better than uh, the, the shops uh, this, uh, uh, offline, right? So, but of course, so, so that's actually the, the, the issue that the, I think the government need to step in to like uh, issue like a consumption voucher, right? Consumer so right now, you're not, you're not experiencing that uh, but how long more do you think you will need to hang on? Uh, that's a probably, I, I did a study. I look at the 10,000 Chinese listed companies. I found that like uh, 8,000 small, medium-sized companies, they can actually survive uh, at around uh, three months without any business, right? So actually like uh, 60, 60, 70% of the companies, they cannot survive beyond, uh, they can, without any help, without any business in, for three months. But that's why the government has stepped in to help those companies. I think that's uh, like uh, giving consumption voucher and uh, give a subsidy, the subsidy and also exempt them from some fees. I think that's very important. The government rescue package is the key to prevent okay. unemployment. Right, let's ask Dr. Professor Chang his comments on that, on unemployment, uh, on survivability of business uh, and demand. Well, I think so China gonna face in the, uh, you know, big, um, I would say big challenges, you know, of the employment, you know, so the unemployment rate, you know, must be on rise, you know, this is the foreseeable, uh, you know, case. I think the government recognized that, you know, I, I tell you the, you know, the intermediate, I mean, I, I tell you the immediate response of the government policy right now is, is about the, you know, expansion of about 10, 20% of enrollments of, of the graduate studies at the colleges, universities, because, you know, we're going to have over you know, 8 million college graduates this summer. You Put know, more people so, in school, yes. Yeah, yes. so we have, we have to, you know, you know, enroll more students, uh, you know, back to the, you know, university for the graduate studies. You know, that's part of the policy response from the government, you know, to the, uh, you know, rising, uh, you know, employment on a national level. You know, I think that China is always facing these problems in a different period of time. But, but the point here is, you know, you have to, you have to find out how the, you have to make sure that, uh, you know, the costs for, you know, people, you know, Give up another job and taking the new job is easier, you know. So you have to pave the pave the way, you know, for the people getting easily moving from one place to another. So, uh, you know, when the lot of uh, small businesses close down, you know, I think the people would find a new job in the 
in a tertiary sector, you know. So I think so the policy should be, you know, placed somewhere where they can guarantee such, you know, mover uh, is much easier, you know. So so uh, so the the recent package of the policies I think is probably going to, you know, append over by the government at this moment is. You know, they could have created an incentive policy, for instance, for the business owner. You know, if, right. you, if, you, if you keep more employment, you know, so you probably get it subsidized a little bit. Yes. You know, yeah. You, to, you know, maintain the overall of the employment level in China after the okay. pandemic, you know, could have been uh, modest. Okay. So there are already policies in place, uh, not just to uh, kickstart consumption, but also uh, to reabsorb the workforce yeah. into different parts of the economy, even sending them back to school. That's, that's very, very good. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm very happy to hear that. Tanding, um, you know, I, I asked you initially to talk about uh, small businesses, but you also run a very successful wealth management business. So let me ask you this question. What are rich people worrying about in China now? Well, um, actually, uh, a couple of uh, fronts, okay. One is uh, uh, about the risk management. Yeah, so people have a, uh, a different idea or better idea about uh, risk management. Yeah, uh, it's a very complex situation right now for people who have done very good asset allocation, who have done very good, like, uh, you know, separating uh, personal wealth uh, from uh, uh, enterprise, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, they are doing very well. They can sleep well uh, at night. But for those who haven't, yeah. right, who had a, like a single direction, like a bet on stock market, uh, real estate market, uh, or any one single asset class, or who didn't do this uh, separation of uh, yeah, personal wealth, family wealth from uh, enterprise, right? Like uh, their companies may run into debt uh, or uh, so on, bankruptcy, so on. They are really uh, in uh, trouble. So I think going forward, people have a better understanding of like asset allocation, like global asset allocation, like, you know, family, like trust, separating the wealth from enterprise, buying insurance, so on. So people have a different mindset. That is one. Second, uh, I think, uh, you know, some very like uh, smart people, experienced investors uh, start to take positions. Yeah, but uh, many uh, we've observed, uh, you know, feel kind of like a panic. They say, hey, this is a uh, yeah, uncertain time. Shall we invest? Uh, probably not. Uh, but actually, you know, if you follow Warren Buffett, right, if you have money, if you don't, that's a different story, right? If you have money, if you can manage your cash flow, you should actually invest now as opposed to investing in like a market hype, right? Like during market downturn, uh, investment returns are always uh, uh, much more attractive. Because uh, yeah, enterprises uh, value is more valuable. You know, entrepreneurs uh, uh, yeah doing fundraising. But, but, but you're not telling your customers. You're not telling your customers to go back into the market now, are you? I mean, we it's are. not the free fall. We you are. are. We are. But we also tell them they should do as allocation. They should. They should be long term. Right, not short-term speculation, not just like a direction trade, right? Like a one-way street uh, going into stock market or going into yeah some other like uh, a housing market, for example. No, it's got to be balanced. It's got to be long-term. It's got to be value-oriented, like uh, technology innovation. We talk about that, right? Like uh, people shouldn't invest uh, uh, back into the old economy, right? Which is suffering most. Yeah, I think following these principles, people should uh, yeah come into the market big time. First of all, uh, uh, assuming they have money. Some of these are very very practical things that um, would be relevant in a country where new wealth is very strong. Um, but uh, what about investing abroad? Like um, you know uh, the uh, your investors who are looking at outside China, what are they thinking? Well, I think uh, they are really going global, but uh, more like uh, uh, much more than just uh, investing uh, in uh, dollar assets or so on, right? Like uh, these days, uh, you, you've, uh, uh, you must have heard about like stories like their kids having trouble coming back to 
China, yeah. right? Like from uh, yeah. UK, uh, from the US, uh, so on, or yeah. paying huge like uh, airfare for like a ticket, yes. uh, so on. So that is also globalization, right? Like uh, a, a family uh, planning, education, uh, so on. And also many entrepreneurs have like importing, exporting businesses. They are actually repositioning their companies, right? Their companies are becoming more domestic uh, demand oriented. I think, uh, as you said, I totally agree. There will be a lot of like a supply chain kind of uh, uh, shift uh, uh, considerations uh, show up. So after the crisis, like it's going to be a new world. It's going to be a new market environment. So for Chinese enterprises, uh, entrepreneurs, they have to reposition themselves for this uh, new world. They need to become uh, more domestic oriented, more digital, more agile. Right, Lu Ting, can you take um, uh, Tanning's comments um, and 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 restate them uh, from an economist point of view, especially from an investment banking point of view? Uh, what is your sense of uh, companies of good value that uh, you know that that an investor can buy into in China? M and A activities. Uh, uh, you know, and and um, and also, you know, private equity uh, in terms of uh, companies that can be rehabilitated through this process. What what do you see uh, in ter in the corporate scene in China right now? Well, uh, that's a very tough question. Uh, of course, it's also a very important one, also very practical. Now, first of all, um, yeah, we we may not be at the bottom of the market yet. Uh, the volatility for the next couple of months could be. Quite high, uh, so for people with a very short horizon of investment, this is not a good time just to put your money into it. But if for those well people with a long-term perspective, uh, I think this is a good time to spot to identify good opportunities. I can give, I can give you one example. Um, just about a week ago, um, in Hong Kong, uh, in the, uh, China's uh, dollar bond market. I say for these Chinese companies, uh, which issue dollar bonds, which issue dollar bonds um, um, uh, in Hong Kong and in Singapore, this is a very big market. Now it's 900 billion US dollars. And right. actually, uh, in the middle of this month, the price for a couple of days down somewhere around like 20 to 30% uh, in just a couple of days. And actually, this is a golden opportunity for people to buy if they have enough cash and if they have, well, they have cash which they can hold for, for uh, which they can use for long-term investment. Actually, just in the past week, some of the bonds price has been up like 30 to 50%. Yeah. So this is a very good opportunity to uh, sport these kind of rare opportunities when the market is in disruptions. And of course, this is just one example. We have other examples. Some of those uh, Chinese companies, uh, which I believe have long-term value, but could be hit because of the virus. Now, some of the companies are, well, based in Hubei province, based in Wuhan, for example. I believe that it's just a short-term problem. I don't think the virus will hit Wuhan forever. Um, but. Uh, what stock price of those companies have been significantly hit uh, over the past two months, and I believe this is also a good opportunity. Anyway, I think this is a good time just to find opportunities. Oh, excellent. Um, now, in, in terms of uh, the renminbi uh, dollar um, rates, um, you know, are there currency risks that you see that we need to be concerned about? Because uh, um, it's one thing to buy dollar bonds, it's another thing to be sitting on dollars. Well, uh, at least I don't worry so much about dollars. And uh, of course, dollar now is very strong, uh, very expensive. Uh, but I don't think there is a big downside for US dollars because anyway, I don't think there will be any other currencies which could replace US dollar as a global reserve. Actually, yeah. Actually, you just draw, draw, drew out a point um, of a conversation that we probably have to have uh, separately on that, which is, uh, you know, is the dollar still the... Um, you know, the currency for refuge uh, at a time like this, you know, and, and that's a whole conversation uh, on, on its own. It's amazing. Thank you very much for that. Uh, but how do you think Chinese companies that have um, accessed um, 
the, the dollar market or the or foreign, uh, you know, have issued bonds outside of China, how are they coping right now? Because, uh, you know, the, uh, in terms of uh, meeting their bond obligations and so on. Well, uh, I, I do believe there will be some risks, uh, but I think market should not exaggerate those risks. Uh, the risks is that for the next few months, uh, most likely, as I mentioned before, China's export growth will be down quite a lot. My estimate will be down 30%. But in the meantime, China's import growth will also be down. And this year may not be a bad year for China's balance payments. Why? Well, because global oil price has been down so much, and China's largest right. oil import in the world, based on my estimate, if oil price on average down 50% from our last chest level, China will save 100 billion US dollars. So this year, if China's uh, current account or balance payments in relatively good shape, uh, I don't think there will be uh, well, well, a good payment crisis for China's dollar bond market. But on the other hand, I think the Chinese government has been much more cautious than before, and has a lot of these new regulations to limit the supply of these new bonds. Why? Because I think the Chinese government don't really want to see a massive defaults of those uh, dollar bonds. Gentlemen, you've given me an amazing uh, perspective uh, of what's happening on the ground in China. Uh, we all know that the state is uh, putting in place incentives and uh, countermeasures to, to hold the economy together. And it's very good to hear from Professor Chang uh, that uh, the state has been is, uh, putting in place measures to absorb um, you know, the negative impacts such as unemployment and so on. Uh, and also uh, investing in, um, in infrastructure such as education and, and, and so on. Um, I think that Tang Ning gave us two perspectives, uh, one on what the small businesses are doing in terms of uh, their credit risk, uh, as well as uh, what wealthy people are thinking or the way in which they think uh, about, or maybe the way in which Tang Ning has been uh, uh, influencing them to think uh, about diversification of risk and so on. But even in that, uh, he's given us a perspective in terms of, um, you know, how uh, his clients uh, have been, uh, you know, trying to work their way through uh, the process. Uh, Shen, thank you very much for the perspective on JD. Uh, and yes, as an economist with a frontline view of uh, consumer spending, you actually see all those numbers. Uh, and, uh, uh, and there's been a focus on consumables, on food, uh, less focus on um, and, and this is uh, predictable in, in that sense, uh, less focus on uh, discretionary spending at the moment. I asked you this question, uh, how do you think it's going to play out in the next uh, few months? Uh, you have a rule of thumb, which is uh, three months uh, spending, um, and, and both on the corporate and, and, and on the individual side. So gentlemen, um, all of you, and Luting uh, ended it off for us uh, in terms of the uh, corporate dimension uh, in terms of funding uh, as well as capital and maybe M&A opportunities and you're saying looting that uh, it is still early days uh, in terms of the downside risks uh, still uh, to play and I hope that we will be able to build on this conversation uh, it's probably a conversation that we probably have to have uh, three months down the road uh, when the US economy uh, starts to um, show its full shape um, uh, in terms of uh, the impact of the uh, of the, the pandemic uh, on its domestic economy. And then there's a dimension there in terms of China's uh, largest export partner and, and the demand side becomes clearer as a result. So this is a continue, con continuing conversation. I will be holding uh, other chats with um, other people in the industry uh, as we go along in the next few weeks. Uh, please join me uh, in uh, thanking um, our current panelists and, uh, and please look out for uh, radio finance uh, sessions uh, in the next few weeks. And please do give us your feedback um, in the comment section, whether it's on YouTube uh, or on, uh, on the various uh, platforms on which we are uh, pre presenting these, uh, these, pre uh, these sessions. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you for listening to Radio Finance. For more content, visit the Asian Banker website and follow us on social media.